went through to bring me to Jesus Christ. He didn't send me a star like he did to the wise men, which I didn't have to travel like they had to travel, but God was so patient and so persistent in bringing me to Christ that uh, I, I marvel at it. The, the times that I was stubborn and didn't want to listen, the times when I came up with excuses as to why I would not receive the Lord or why I didn't believe the Bible, there were so many moments that I can think back to, and I praise God for his patience, and maybe you have a similar testimony. Maybe you have a similar testimony where God was drawing you and you said no, and he still sent somebody else across your path, and you said no to them, and then he, he, perhaps you ran into a gospel track that you read, and you're like, ah, it's one of those things, I don't want that. And you kept having these touches, these moments when God was shepherding you and drawing you to himself until finally you trusted the Lord and you believed on Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm amazed at what God did with these wise men with the star. What was the Christmas star? What was the Christmas star? Uh, we perhaps have all heard it involves these wise men traveling from the east. They saw it and somehow it led them from their home country to travel all the way into Judea, into Bethlehem. Was it an actual star? Was it an actual star? Did God move the celestial bodies and the, the constellations in order to put that star right where it needed to be? Other people have given the idea that perhaps it was a token of God's glory placed in the sky just for the purpose of leading the wise men to that place. Maybe it was an angel that was up there shining and the angel's job was to make sure that these wise men saw it and perhaps it was mistakenly called the star. I, I would suggest that it doesn't so much matter what the star was made out of, but what it says about the Lord and what it says about the wise men who followed it. What it says about the Lord for giving the star and what it says about the wise men for following it. And then the question would be is, if the Lord guided us and showed us something, somewhere we needed to be, some way we needed to go, something that we needed to do, would you and I be open to the leading of what it is that God is guiding us to. And so after the days of the manger and the shepherds, while Jesus was still a baby, but now they're in a house, some unexpected visitors ride into, Jeru ride into uh, Jerusalem before they find the baby in the, uh, in the home. And they set the king and all the city into chaos by their arrival because of who it was they were asking about. In Matthew chapter 2 and verse number 1, the word of God says this. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed. And, lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, 
till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. Let's pray together. Father, take your word this evening, and I pray that you would bless it. Guide us through it. Help us to meet with you in it. In Jesus' name, amen. What we have here, Mary and Joseph, with the baby Jesus Christ, have set up life in Bethlehem. The words used for Jesus being an infant versus being a young child show us that some time has passed. So though I know that many manger scenes that you might have at home or you might see out there have the wise men showing up the same night that the shepherds came uh, and the little drummer boy, all of that is somewhat fabricated. And I just love the idea of the little drummer boy. They look at a woman who just gave birth in, in a dirty manger stall and who is dead tired from a baby uh, that has been up crying. And he thinks to himself, you know what that woman needs? She needs a drum solo, right? What an unusual song that somebody came up with there for Christmas. When we look at this time period, they have gotten into the normal life of what it is to live with a child. And so they're doing the, the feeding and the, the changing of clothes and whatever they use for diapers back then. Joseph is having to find work, I imagine, by this time. And they are still in Bethlehem, but they have found themselves a home to stay in. And you could think that after the day in and day out of life had settled in, and after uh, so much time has passed, that maybe the idea of the, the angel speaking to Mary in the visions and to Joseph in the dreams and the shepherds showing up with a story about angels speaking to them, maybe that stuff has faded into the background of everyday sleep-deprived life. And they perhaps ask themselves, did that still really happen? And then these reminders, these men, these nobles arrive from afar. In Matthew chapter 2 and verse number 1, it says, now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in those days, excuse me, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Who were these wise men? Uh, tradition has given them names, and we've come up with all sorts of ideas, but really, we don't know who they are, but the very title that they're given shows a few things. They were learned. They were very well educated in both the secular and in the religious. Uh, the way that they followed the stars was um, reminiscent of astrology, which I would say most Christians, that's different than astronomy, by the way. Astrology is looking for signs and portents, trying to tell the future or to get guidance from the stars, from creation. It's usually a very pagan idea that is something followed today in witchcraft and other forms of the occult. And I would recommend that believers have nothing to do with it, that they have nothing to do with it. But here, these men had devoted their lives to becoming very learned, very educated, and they were looking in the stars, and they saw something in the stars. I don't know exactly what it is. I remember, like every story as a child, um, He-Man in the Masters of the Universe. It seemed like every single story had the planets aligning, and the stars were all, and then now the evil bad guy was going to do something, and He-Man had to go and stop him 
had to stop Skeletor. And for whatever reason, the planets always had to align in those, in those shows. I don't know where they got that idea from, but something like that happened to the Magi. And they were men of means. They were men of wealth. Perhaps you've seen in the manger scene, three guys on three camels traveling without any backpacks or any saddlebags or anything, and they just show up and they just have these little boxes. But if the guess of scholars is right, they, they traveled from a country called Parthia, which would have been northeast of, uh, of Babylon, and it would have taken them 500 miles to get to Jerusalem. Now that would take, at a decent pace in those days, almost a month of traveling every day. 25 to 30 days, they estimate, for them to come. That is a huge commitment to leave what they were doing, where they would set up, and the comfort of where they were. These were most likely not young men because of the term that was used to describe them. They were probably a little bit more aged, and they still saw something, and they decided to come. God showed them some sort of uh, revelation. When we talk about revelation, we're not just talking about the the, uh, last book of the Bible. God has revealed himself to man. God has revealed himself to man. Uh, He has shown us who he is in the word of God, but we also see things about God in the heavens. We see things about God in nature. We see things about God in the unseen things inside of us. The Bible testifies that there's general revelation where every man, woman, boy, and girl who reaches that age of understanding knows that there's a God, knows that there's a sinner, and that they are accountable before that God. But let's look in Psalm 138, would you? In Psalm 138. And while we're turning there, I would just say that the Spirit of God, who would be the source of any dreams or visions somebody might have, if they're supposedly dreams from the Lord, will never contradict the Word of God. The Spirit of God will never contradict the Word of God. And so I know that oftentimes we are, as Baptist people, somewhat uh, cautious when people say, well, the Lord showed me a vision or the Lord told me this. Because oftentimes those things are at odds with the word of God, and we know that that is not from the Lord if it's not in line with the Lord's word. It says in Psalm 138, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. God has done a work by giving us his word. His word is the revelation. It is the locus of truth. It is where we find what's true and false, right and wrong, what ought to be done, what ought not to be done. And this world is in desperate need of truth. This world is drowning in information, but is desperate for truth. And people think that the truth is going to bind them, that it's going to wrap them in chains because now not everybody gets their own truth. I saw an interview with somebody lately and um, the, the person said, I wanted to understand, I wanted to get to the truth of the matter, the bottom of the truth. And the person responded, well, whose truth? As though everybody gets their own truth. But we know that Jesus said that God the Father, his word is truth. And so we know that though they saw something and it led them, and we can hear from God ourselves, it will never contradict the word of God. So a great caravan travels this 500 miles and they roll into Jerusalem and they start asking questions like everybody should know what they're talking about. Where is the king of the Jews? We saw his star, we know that he's been born, and we've come here to worship him. Now, I always thought in my mind that they went into the city, went right to Herod, and they just talked with Herod and then they left. 
But the more I look at the passage, they probably just went in and started looking for a holy man, looking for a rabbi or a priest, and just asked them, where is he born? You know, the king of the Jews. We saw his star. And then thinking to themselves, what are you talking about? Because it seemed like when Mary and Joseph took the baby Jesus into the temple and Simeon comes and rejoices with them and Anna comes and rejoices with them, that those were the only people that seemed to be looking for the Lord's Christ at that time. But somehow God chose these men, which were not Jews, to come and be a part of this amazing advent, of this amazing arrival of Jesus on earth as he is born of the Virgin Mary. And they they turned the world upside down. By the way, a note before we get into this, Herod was not a good guy. Herod was not a good guy. It says in the days of Herod, when Herod was king, the Herodian line is filled with some of the most vile people. Do you know, if you look at the history of them, do you know what it reminds me of? Daytime television. It reminds me of a soap opera. It is deceit. It is adultery. It is murder. It is conspiracy. They are the worst of people these Herodians. And yet he is supposedly the king, what most people would say is the king of the Jews. And so when they come in and they start talking about the king of the Jews, you can imagine the guy who fancies himself, and he's really not even Jewish at all, who fancies himself the king of the Jews, is a little bit upset at it. In verse three, when Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. The whole city was turned upside down. It was turned into an uproar. That's one of the reasons why I had to rethink in my mind what this would have looked like This big procession, this big caravan comes in. They don't look like they belong in Jerusalem. They're Gentiles. They're they're perhaps considered to be sorcerers or astrologers. They're these magi. And they come in and they want to know where the king of the Jews are. Why? Because they want to worship him. This whole thing is bizarre. This whole thing is unusual. And it draws the attention of Herod. And in verse 4, he gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together and he demanded of them where Christ should be born. He's like, wait, there's supposed to be a Christ? He's supposed to be the king of the Jews and there's a prophecy concerning him? Where is he supposed to be at? Some, Some king of the Jews, Herod turned out to be, he doesn't even know of the most important prophecy that his people were given. So it says, and they came to him in Bethlehem of Judah, For thus it is written, excuse me, and they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah, thou art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Look back with me, if you would, in the Old Testament in Micah chapter five, in Micah chapter five, this is the prophecy that these Jewish leaders are, and scribes are pointing to when they say he's supposed to come from Bethlehem. The Bible is filled with an amazing amount of prophecy that is fulfilled in such a specific way that there's no explanation other than the Lord is in it. In fact, it's a more plausible explanation that God was the one making these things happen than to think that man could somehow dream this up. In Micah 5 and verse 2, But thou Bethlehem Ephratah, Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forths have been from of old, from everlasting. What a prophecy, and talking about our Lord, who will be from everlasting, hinting at his deity even all that time back in the past. So Herod demands where, there, where he's going to be. And in verse 7, Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, so he had a private audience with them, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. 
This is not because he has an interest in astrology. He wants to know when the baby was born because now he feels threatened. There's one other thing about the Herodians. They were very superstitious, very superstitious. They were the kinds of people that would heap themselves with whatever religious beliefs they could find just so that they could feel safe. Um, I, I remember someone saying Elvis at the end of his life was so confused um, about what was true and not true that he had the holy signs of every religion he could find and would wear them and necklaces underneath his clothes just so that he didn't get the wrong one and make that God, or miss out on the right one, excuse me, and make that God angry. That's sort of what Herod was like. He was not a very religious man. And he said unto them, verse 8, excuse me, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. These Gentile men had traveled these 500 miles or so in order to worship the Lord Jesus. And Herod, who was just nearby, Jerusalem and Bethlehem aren't that far apart from each other. He, was, he, couldn't, he couldn't be bothered to go, but he did want to know where Jesus was because he had plans for him. He had plans for him. We'll see what his plans are in just a moment. Verse 9. And when they heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star, which they saw in the east, went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Have you ever been that excited to receive an answer from the Lord as to what decision you should make? You ever had his guidance so clearly given to you, whether through scripture or circumstance or through the, the witness of the spirit within you that tells you this is what you're supposed to do? They were thrilled to be led by the Lord. They were thrilled to be led by the Lord. It says that they greatly rejoiced because they saw this star. Remember what God must have done in order to bring them. They must have been looking up through their telescope or through their charts into the night sky, and they saw something that was unusual. And whatever it was, it was enough to show them that some great event was happening. And it wasn't just any event because they figured out somehow that it was about the birth of the king of the Jews. And there probably wasn't a lot of Jewish people over there that they had run into that they were talking to back in their home country that would have said, oh yeah, that has to do with Jesus. Or excuse me, the coming Messiah. They wouldn't have known his name yet. Somehow God used the things even in their lives that probably Jewish people shouldn't have been involved in, which was looking into the stars for signs. And even as lost as they were, and even as wrapped up in pagan and secular ideas as they were, God broke through in his mercy because he wanted them to encounter Jesus Christ. He wanted them to encounter Jesus Christ. Verse number eight says that he wants to come and worship him also, but Herod's desire to worship the Lord Jesus was not about holiness, but about hellishness. His plan was to kill Jesus Christ. His plan was to destroy this Christmas advent, this arrival of Christ on earth, why? Who, who would destroy Jesus? We think about the baby in the manger and we think about this time of year and all of these beautiful songs that we sing. Who would do such a wicked thing? Someone who wants to be king for themselves. Someone who wants to be king for themselves. And we see this repeated time and time again by those that refuse Christ is that they don't refuse Christ. Honestly, the vast majority of these secular atheists that want to debate Christianity, their, their excuses of why they don't believe are just that. They're excuses because they do not want the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to rule over them. They want to be the gods, little g, of their own life. They want to be the captains of their own fate. They, they want to call the shots. They want to say for themselves what's true and false and what's right and wrong. 
what ought to be done and ought not to be done. Because if there is a God that calls them to a higher way of living that's more than just their own pleasure and their own comfort, then they're going to, in their mind, lose out. So they come up with all sorts of reasons not to believe because they want to be king themselves just like Herod wanted to be king. It says in verse 10, or verse 11, excuse me, when they were come into the house, notice that they're in a house now. They didn't stay in the manger forever, just in case you were wondering, young people, Jesus wasn't raised in the manger. That, that was a short-term accommodations. When they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. Who did they worship? Who did they worship? They worshiped the Lord Jesus. Now, Mary was a blessed woman, no doubt. The angel of the Lord said, among women, you are blessed. You, you have stood out. You are someone of impeccable character, and this is the woman that the Spirit of God is going to use to bring the Lord Jesus into this world. No man had anything to do with Jesus Christ's birth. But the Spirit of God came, and that which was born of her was born of the Spirit of God and shall be called the Son of God, the Bible says. And yet they come in and they worship Jesus. They don't worship Mary. There are many places where people worship Mary in, in churches around here. That perhaps your background involved some of that. But I want you to know the worship of Mary as something more than human didn't show up till the 3rd or 4th century. So this is something that happened hundreds of years later because so many religious ideas included this, this worship of a mother, this worship of a, a powerful mother that's connected with nurturing and fertility and the earth which was a pagan idea, and unfortunately it was grabbed, co-opted, and inserted into to beliefs of Christianity, and that's, that's how that came about. But they worshipped the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says that they opened their treasures. You can imagine in your mind's eye them coming to this humble home, because Joseph was not rich, he was a, a carpenter, and they came to this humble home with their big entourage and all their camels and horses and pack animals and they had all of these treasures and boxes and guards to, to keep watch over them. It wasn't just three guys with no supplies traveling on camels. And they would have shown up, and it would have been a big deal in Jerusalem. Everybody would have been looking out their, excuse me, in Bethlehem. They would have been looking out their windows. They would have been staring at all of this. They would have been wondering what is going on. And they come and they open up gifts for the Lord Jesus. And the gifts that they brought to him, it says, were gold and frankincense, and myrrh. Gold is a, gift, is a gift fit for a king. Frankincense is a gift for a priest because the burning of incense was closely connected with the duties of a priest and the worship of God in the temple. And myrrh was something that they used to prepare burial spices in order to get ready to anoint or to cover a body before it was buried. Think about that. A gift for a king, a gift for a priest, and a gift for a sacrifice how prophetic their gifts that they brought. These wise men, they did something because of their worship. They did something because of their worship. It is one thing to sing praises. It's one thing to give lip service to God. But these men gave of their own wealth in order to show their admiration and, worth and worship of the Lord Jesus because he was worthy to them. Well, a dream came to these men. They were being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod. They departed into their own country another way. What do you think Herod would have done had, they gotten, had he gotten his hands on these men? He probably would have pried the information out of them as to what it was 
they did and where they went and who they saw, which would have led Herod directly to Jesus. And so probably those men would not have made it back to their homes. They would not have returned safely. It says in verse 13, And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the child to destroy him. Herod's plan is to find Jesus and to end him. Verse 14, when he arose, he took the child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. This was the plan. Herod's going to kill baby Jesus. So God warns Joseph in a dream and says, go, take your family, go to Egypt. This is actually part of the prophecy of Jesus being the Messiah, because God said in Hosea 11, in verse number one, that out of Egypt, he would call his son. And so that's, that's one of the ways that that prophecy is fulfilled. But it's not safe for Jesus to be there anymore because Herod is going to find out. You know, delayed obedience is dangerous. Delayed obedience is dangerous. That means knowing what you ought to do and knowing that you should do it now and refusing to do it. What had happened if Joseph had waited a week or two? I mean, to pack up everything in just one night and set out immediately would have been very inconvenient. It would have been wild to do that. One day, this huge train of important nobles visit from a far country, and the next day, they're leaving town. And they're going to Egypt, which is not a place particularly friendly to the Jewish people. There were many Jewish people there, but it wouldn't have been someplace they would have been excited to go. And yet he was willing to do that. If he had waited long, Herod would have found him. And when Herod rounded up the children, as we're going to read, that that's exactly what he did, he may have caught Jesus as well. It says in verse 15, And was there in Egypt until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which is spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. By the way, I, I look at this, and some people say, Well, Jesus tried to fulfill all these scriptures so that he could put himself forth as the Messiah. He tried to do this. Great job trying to figure out where you were going to be born. Normal people, by the way, don't just get to decide where they're born, nor when they're a small child in arms, do they get to decide whether or not their family moves to Egypt and then comes back. Verse 16, then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under. So what happened was Herod figured out the time that the star appeared, figured that it must be within two years, and so two years and younger in Bethlehem or anywhere around Bethlehem, all of the children were killed. You say, what a monstrous thing for him to do. Can you imagine those guards sent from Herod's, Herod's palace, kicking in the doors, snatching away the babies from their mother's arms, fighting off the, the fathers? They had no choice about the matter. Horrible things happened. Absolutely horrible things. Why did these horrible things? Because that baby threatened the way that Herod wanted to live his life. And as unthinkable as that seems to be, we have an epidemic of it in our own country when someone would put a child to death because it threatens how they want to live their life. There's a great number of people that because of the inconvenience of having a baby at a time and in a situation when they didn't want one, that they would think that it's appropriate to kill that child. What a horrible thing. What a horrible thing. Herod knew he was betrayed and he was angry about it. He was angry about it. And so it says in verse 17, then 
was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, In Ramah there was a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, for Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted because they are not. Even the slaughter of the children by wicked Herod was told of in prophecy in the Old Testament. So what do we take away from all of this? What do we take away from all of this? First of all, like the wise men, God is leading us to Jesus Christ. Like the wise men, God is leading us to Jesus Christ. I know here, it's Sunday night, it's Christmas uh, evening, and the people that are in church most likely would say that they know Christ as Savior. You never know, you may be joining us by means of technology, and we welcome you also, and perhaps unable to be here because of the, the chill weather or because of travel. But if you know Christ as Savior, I want you to know that God is still leading you ever closer into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you know Christ better this year than you did last year? And what will the year to come mean? Will you grow in your relationship? Will you know more about God and God's word and his workings? Will you serve in a greater way in your area of giftedness? Will you worship in a deeper, more meaningful way? Will you pray in a more intelligent and specific way? God is constantly leading us, just like he led the wise men and he used that star and he's pointing them on a route from where they were out in the, the lost wilderness to Bethlehem, the city of David, where David's descendant, the Savior, was to be born. It's no accident, no accident that God works out these things. How many of you, you feel like God was after you and went to great lengths so that you might come to salvation? Any of you feel like that? I really feel like that because, boy, was I lost. I, I, was, I was absolutely a God hater and I didn't like Christians and I had nothing good to say about the Bible and yet the Lord did not give up on me. I feel like maybe I'm in a little, little uh, better company because God did the same thing for those wise men. God did the same thing for those wise men, pulling them out of where they were. So remember, God is leading us towards a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. Second, there is no wiser thing to do than to follow God's leading. So follow God's leading. Follow his leading. Now, God wanted to show these wise men something even greater than all the wisdom that they had and all the wealth that they had and all the books that they have read or written or, or colleges that they had attended. He wanted to show them something greater than their earthly wisdom or superstition. And you could, you could imagine that they're like, do you know how much it's going to cost to take our whole entourage all the, rate, all the way to Jerusalem? If they're right and it was 500 miles, that would be a long trip. Each way, about 25 to 30 days. The effort that that would take, the things that they would miss out on from when they were back, when they were not back in their home while they were traveling, the hardships, the perils of travel. You know what we worry about when we travel today? Uh, the car breaking down, roads being closed, maybe bad weather. We don't usually worry if we're driving down 71 south heading towards Columbus that we're going to be waylaid by bandits. That, that's not something that we usually worry about. That was a legitimate worry. And here they are carrying all sorts of valuable things. So they had to have a great procession with them. It would have not been unusual for them to say, hey, let's just stay home. Let's just stay home. I know we saw the star, and I know God is leading us, and I know that he's showing us something amazing that's going on, but it would be so much more comfortable to just stay home and to not travel. There's no trouble here, but this trip will be filled with trouble. They could have stayed home, but they would have missed out on their purpose in life, which was to come and know the Savior. Has God been guiding you? Has he been guiding you towards something? 
I don't know what that is. Maybe it's an area in your life that he's, he's put his finger on and he says, this is what you need to surrender. This is what needs to be changed. This is what you need to do more of. Maybe he's pointed out a relationship. Maybe he's pointed out uh, a job opportunity or some family situation and he's guiding you and he's put the star, so to speak, in the sky and the question is whether or not you are going to follow it. Will you follow the star? Or will it be like, ah, that star is there again. And so you try and make sure you don't look at that side of the, the sky when you're out because you don't want to be reminded about where you ought to be because you're having too much fun being where you are now or it's just too much work or too much effort. But if we do that, we are going to miss out on what God has for us. I don't want to get to heaven and, and see all the blessing that's out there that God could have given me, but I was unwilling to follow. I was unwilling to follow. follow. So don't stay home. Follow whatever it is the Lord has for you. Follow that path that God has put before you because, like the wise men, in the end, you'll rejoice. It'll be, without a doubt, worth it. And lastly, give God your worship. Give God your worship. The wise men gave Jesus precious treasures. Why? Because that's what Mary charged them? Did Mary say, the price of entry to see the Christ child is at least one portion of gold, one portion of frankincense, and one portion of myrrh? We're running a sale, though, so you only need to have uh, uh, eight-tenths of a portion of myrrh today. Is that what happened? No. The reason that they gave was because they were worshiping him. They were worshiping him. He was worthy. They wanted to show their adoration because they realized that this was no normal king. There were kings born every day. Kings born every day in the Roman Empire. They weren't on the level of Caesar, but they ruled over their own province or over their own area inside of a province. Kings like Herod, not too unusual. Not too unusual. But this was somebody different. This was somebody that they worshipped. They didn't just show... It doesn't say that they came and worshipped Herod, does it? They met with Herod, but they worshipped Jesus. That is a huge statement on how important he was. And they didn't offer something that cost them nothing. I always remember about David saying that he didn't want to offer something to the Lord that would cost him nothing. It has to have a little bit of heft, weight, sacrifice to it for it to matter. You know, some people, when they give in order to honor the Lord, when they give out of their lack, they give more than if they were giving out of their abundance. Do you remember the widow that Jesus saw when he was in the temple? There were all of these people coming in with their rich garments and all of their servants, bringing in all their money and their, the things that they were tithing with great fanfare and trumpets and saying, look at us, look what we're bringing to God, look how holy we are. And then some widow woman, probably poor, bent over with age, comes in, puts in just a little bit, just, just a few coins, the widow's might, right? Puts that in there and Jesus says she gave more than all. She gave more than all. So they gave what they gave because that was of value to them. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. So how do we worship God? Are, are you supposed to go and get some myrrh and bring it to church? Is that what we're asking for? No, no. But our worship shows God what we think of him. Our worship shows God what we think of him. Should we sing to him? Absolutely. Should we bring our tithes and offerings? Absolutely. But we worship God throughout our whole life not just while we're at church. You know how you can worship God? By saying yes to him. 
When you come to a decision, when you come to a moment, when you can either do it God's way or the flesh, the way of the flesh, you choose to do it God's way. That's worship because what you're saying is, God, you're worthy of me saying no to myself and yes to you because that's what I think of you. So every time we're, we're forced to make a decision of right or wrong and we choose to do right, we're actually worshiping God in that moment. When we choose what we're going to listen to, when we choose what we're going to watch, what we choose what we're going to fill our hearts and minds with, because remember, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when we choose to do those things and we choose to hold off on the bad and to put in the good, we're actually worshiping God because we show him that he's meaningful to us. If somebody comes and they give great money to the Lord and yet they refuse to give their own lives to the Lord, it sort of cheapens the gift that they bring. It reminds me of the Pharisees. I don't want to be like that. They, they made a big deal about all of the pious things that they did, but they were far from God in their hearts. I would much rather have that gift of a, a contrite heart and a broken spirit that we would come to the Lord just as we are. We worship him with many ways, but also by following him in our daily lives, doing it his way. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes for a moment? Again, thank you so much for being in the Lord's house tonight. Thank you so much for joining us online. I know many of you would love to be here. What has the Lord spoken to you about? We have what we call a time of invitation where we invite you to act on what it is that God has spoken to you about. Coming out here in the cold and in the dark and on a night when perhaps many people would have rather stayed inside, not because of necessity, but because of comfort. You've tuned in instead of watching something else tonight. We want God to speak with us. We want the Lord to do something in our hearts. And so what is he doing in your heart? Is he guiding you? Has he shown you something? Oh, it might not be a star in the sky, but you know that he's speaking to you about something, about the next step in your walk with him, about perhaps leaving something that you might be closer to him. Perhaps you're, you're wrestling. You want to go one way and the star is leading you another way. And it's so hard. And you need God to give you the grace and the strength to say yes to him. Maybe he's leading you down a path that you absolutely abhor, but you know that it's the Lord doing it. And if so, you know he will bring it to blessing no matter what the hardships are, no matter what you have to leave behind, no matter what you have to go through, in the end, there'll be rejoicing because it is the Lord's path for you. If that's you tonight, would you say yes to the Lord? You say, yes, Lord, I'll follow. And take that step in your own heart and mind. Maybe you're, you're here this evening and you're thinking to yourself, it's Christmas. <laughs> it's Christmas. I've heard all of these things before. I know the story of the wise men. I know the story of Jesus in the manger. We tell it every year. I understand. But remember, God is always calling you to a deeper walk with him. Like the wise men were being led to a more of an understanding relationship and who this great king of the Jews was. That's what God is doing for you. Even as a believer, he wants you to go deeper. To know him more, to understand his word, to make it a part of your life, to hide it in your heart. Maybe God has gotten your attention about your worship. <clears throat> worship. Maybe you're just going through the motions. Maybe it's just what's 
required of you. Maybe you're only here because your parents bring you, and if it wasn't for your parents bringing you, you'd be somebody somewhere else, <clears throat> like many are. But God has gotten your attention, and you want him to be as worthy as he is in your own heart and mind. If you've never trusted the Lord as Savior or followed him in believer's baptism or joined this church as a member, whatever it is that the Lord has spoken to you about, would you say yes to him this evening? And in doing so, we worship the Lord. Let's pray. Father, take this time of invitation and may you work in our hearts through it. For those that are here, for those that are joining us online, may you guide us to a greater and greater relationship with you. May we become more and more like you. May we give you the worship that you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing.